We are uh, continuing this morning in our in a series called Committed. Um, it's a series we began we began the year in this series, Committed. Um, it is uh, uh, a reflective series. It is a series to um, make us look inside and and, and consider. Uh, where we are in the spectrum and in the, in the life and in the world of commitment, uh, being loyal and willing to give your time and energy to something that you believe in. It's a um, confirmation for some. It may be a, uh, a challenge for others. Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, this week, uh, we will be in the book of Philippians. We'll be in Philippians in the third chapter. Uh, last week in, in Luke, we looked at the high cost of commitment to Christ. Um, but now we, we consider what would motivate a person to commit in spite of that cost. <laughs> in spite of that cost. What, what, would, what would get somebody to sign up for that? And <laughs> uh, there's always a go-to in Paul. Amen. Philippians chapter 3. Um, I'll begin reading at the first verse. It says, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me, and it is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who, who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ." Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you, Lord, for your holy word. Um, we have opened it, Lord, and we pray that now our spirits, minds, and hearts will be open to it, uh, to receive from you the things that are uh, necessary, that are uh, holy, that are right, just, and pure, those things that uh, you would have us 
to live and to accomplish um, those things you would have us to know. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunity uh, to share in your word in this place. Uh, we thank you for all that are gathered. We thank you, Lord, mostly for your presence now. Help us, Lord, to experience your presence in, in new and powerful ways. I ask for fresh anointing to preach and anointing to receive your word. Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Because you're my strength and my redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Tomorrow, hundreds of thousands of people uh, off from work will take up various service projects in communities across the country in recognition of the federal holiday for Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. Thinking about it, I'm, I'm, sure, I'm sure there are many different reasons for people committing to serve um, tomorrow. The, the good-hearted work of helping others, uh, corporate sponsorship, uh, the job, yeah. Uh, maybe honoring Dr. King's life of service. But one thing I'm afraid of, I'm afraid, though, that most of the volunteers <clears throat> will never take the time to consider why Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was committed to serve even to the point of facing death. Uh, in his own words, he expressed, I just want to do God's will. Are, are those volunteers, the volunteers tomorrow, are they motivated by that? I just want to do God's will. In the, in the text today, we find the motivating factor behind another man's sacrificial service and his sacrificial commitment. Uh, the subject, the value of Christ to the committed. The value of Christ to the committed. If I had a, a subtext, it just came to me. What's he worth to you? <laughs> we'll add that in the notes. <laughs> What's he worth to you? <laughs> uh, when it's all said and done, nothing compares to the value of knowing Christ. This text bears it out. When, when, when we encounter Paul, uh, the writer of this text, we encounter a man who had an encounter with Christ, uh, transformed from, uh, he was transformed from a man who hated and terrorized the church to one who was imprisoned for preaching Christ and working to establish and strengthen his church. Paul writes to the church at Philippi uh, while being held as a prisoner in Rome. He thanks and encourages the church in this short letter for their fellowship, their partnership, their coming alongside of him uh, uh, in the ministry. Even from prison, he urges them to have joy in their serving, joy in their sacrificial giving for Christ, and even joy in their suffering. Joy in their suffering. 
me see if I read that right. Amen. All right. Um, here, he, he goes on. He reminds them of Christ's value over all other things. Christ's value over all other things. He says, finally, my brothers, brothers and sisters, re rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me, and it is and it's safe for you. It's a safeguard. Look, look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Paul makes the point to the Philippians that uh, their spiritual worship, their, their, their service in the spirit that's carried out to God um, because of their trust in Christ Jesus is a, is a true sign of being his people. It's a true sign of the, of the new covenant that, that was established. Um, and the grace of being in this position that they're in is reason for the church to rejoice, regardless of their circumstances. Paul, Paul takes the time to repeat a warning to them, knowing that there, there are some who would try to ruin their joy. There's some joy stealers who would ruin their joy with false teaching and false expectations. These folks, that sometimes people call them the Judaizers. I had a professor that said we can't call them that, but that's a long story and it's boring for another time. But, the, but I'll call them, some people call them the Judaizers. Um, they show up in every church, it seems like, where there's Gentiles that was planted. Um, uh, they, they challenge and try to change the gospel by teaching people that they need to submit to Jewish rites, such as circumcision, in addition to trusting Jesus in order to be acceptable to God and, and, and in order to have salvation. Uh, we, we realize how serious their false teaching is when, when we hear Paul describe them like wild dogs, wild dogs who, who, who want to uh, attack and devour and disfigure uh, uh, the, the people of God and, 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 and the, the gospel, the truth. They, they want to destroy it. They're, they're, they're ravenous. Um, Paul says... Their works are wicked. They, he, he, he says, watch out for them. Keep your eyes open for them uh, creeping in the back door of the church. Uh, they're up to no good. Um, what, what they're pushing as a spiritual benefit is actually mutilation in, in God's sight. Uh, and, and it's it's offensive because God has already allowed the, the mutilation of his son to take place on the cross on your behalf. And now they want to cut you. There's only one source for the church's salvation and safety and security. The Lord Jesus Christ. Trusting the good news of his death, his burial, and his resurrection on behalf of sinners is the only acceptable way to God. No human effort. He, he, is, their, he is their only bragging right. 
Um, uh, I'm going to skip that. Just, just like it's, I was going to talk about the Eagles, but I won't. Uh, uh, a few years ago, they were the bragging right of the, of the region. Amen. Jesus is their only bragging right. Um, just like this church, we, we have nothing else to stand on but the fact that we're on team Jesus. Uh, that's all we have. Nothing outside of that amounts to much of anything in God's eyes. Uh, the hymn writer, the minister, Edward Mote, put it well, and I think he said it best uh, for when, he, when he says, My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. He said, I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. He says, On Christ the solid rock I stand. He says, All other ground is sinking sand. It's nothing. <laughs> um, anything outside of or in addition to Christ is self-confidence. And, and, and it doesn't get you anywhere. Uh, but it, Paul, Paul gives us an example. He testifies to the self-confident life that he lived before encountering Christ. In, in verse 4, he says, Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Uh, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Paul said, I, 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 I talk the talk and I walk the walk. Uh, if you look at a picture of, of, of what God's man should be in the dictionary. My, my, my picture would be in there. Uh, uh, the evil conduct of the so-called uh, dogs, as Paul called them, caused Paul to make a point using his own resume. They, they were trying to lead the people to trust in a religious system and a standard that Paul says he exemplified. Uh, when it came to what the religious world honored, and place value on Paul was head and shoulders above many. He had the right pedigree, being both from God's chosen family Israel to being born part of the faithful tribe of Benjamin. Uh, from, from birth, he lined up with the law. He was circumcised on the exact day that God commanded in Genesis chapter 17, uh, identifying him with God's covenant people. Even though he grew up in a Roman province called Tarsus, uh, his, his Hebrew parents made sure he, he took part of the Hebrew culture from the lifestyle to the language. He was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. Uh, he later became a part of the strictest group of religious people around the Pharisees, and, and even among that strict group of Pharisees, he stood out for his fire uh, to do what he thought was righteous. Paul stood out. He, to, to, to the point that, uh, of hunting down and terrorizing anybody who was a part of the church, which Paul considered against God. Paul said, I, I did it to the full. In, in Galatians, he told them in chapter 1, verse 14, he says, 
and I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. Paul let them know that, that, that his, his life was full of anything a person could do or be to gain acceptance with God if it be possible. From a religious human standpoint, he had more reason to be self-confident and boast than anybody. If the false teachers thought they had something, Paul says, I had it more. <laughs> I, I, I had more. But after encountering Christ, that, that was Paul's B.C. days before Christ. But Now, after encountering Christ, anybody remember their B.C. days before Christ? No, y'all were born with halos. I, I know it. I, I can see them. Polish them. Um, <clears throat> after encountering Christ, Paul realized that there's a big difference between looking right in front of people and being right in front of God. Uh, after he encountered Christ, uh, he said uh, he, he compares the value of human confidence against the value of trusting in Christ. Uh, he says in verse 7, but whatever gain I had, I, I counted it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Whatever weight or value Paul's pedigree or his high moral and spiritual behavior may have held in his heart and mind, after careful reflection and contact with Jesus, he recognized that it was a debit to his life uh, uh, versus a credit. When he checked his account, he was in the red, <laughs> and he was not in the black. Did I say that right? Where's my financial people? Listen, um, it, it, it wasn't good. Those things were all a loss when he held them up next to Jesus. In fact, compared to knowing Christ, Paul put everything in that negative column. All of his ethnic privileges, all and, and everything uh, all that, he, that he accomplished in his spiritual work, uh, everything he had carried out, not only had no real benefit, he says, he estimated that it was working against him. It was to his disadvantage. Anything that turns you from Christ or prevents you from turning to him is a loss in your life. Uh, Paul makes a good point here. By saying that, that he counts <clears throat> everything lost, Paul leaves room for anything he or anyone else could think of. Well, Paul, what about that big horse you were able to get because you went to persecute the... No. Anything that anyone could think of, he means whatever it is, when compared to knowing Christ, it's nothing. Paul, Paul's encounter with Jesus had changed his entire value system. 
any encounter with Jesus should change your entire value system. Like, like Jesus' parables in Matthew 13 and 34 and 35 that compared the kingdom of God to a discovered treasure and a single pearl of great value, driving people to sell all that they had in order to take hold of what was more precious. Paul considered Christ worth the loss of letting go all that he had. Paul had to let go of some friends. Paul had to let go of some prestige. He had to let go of some power. Paul had to let go of some things, but Christ was worth it. What's he worth to you? And just for good measure, I I love Paul, just for good measure, he lets the Philippians know what he thinks of all of the stuff that he lets go. Sometimes you can let stuff go, but you let it go begrudgingly, right? You let it go like, ah, I guess I'll stop watching that. It was my favorite show, but now I can't watch it. You know, he, whatever it is, uh, he, he, lets, he says, what I'm letting go, he said, the stuff that other people might brag about, Paul calls it rubbish. Where's King James when I need him? King James, he said, his, his folks translated it as dung. Uh, 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 that's not offensive, is it? Dung. But th- this, is, this is what it amounted to in Paul's estimation. It amounted to something that should be flushed or burned. It, it had no value when compared to Christ. Uh, you know, we, you heard the saying, one man's trash is another man's treasure. Well, well, what others would consider treasure, Paul sees as trash if it meant that he would be counted in with Jesus, just so he could be on Team Jesus. He recognized nothing he had or could do would give him right standing before God. So he threw all his trust onto and into Jesus. He put all his, well, he put all his eggs in one basket, they say. Paul goes on here to describe his commitment to fully know the one who brings him into right relationship with God by faith. He says, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Paul had encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus, and he had been appointed by him to go and share the gospel with the Gentiles. Uh, Jesus would even call Paul by name, and Jesus would speak to him when when he was afraid and he needed encouragement. Don't you want to know him like that? Wouldn't you want to know him like that? But here, it sounds that Paul, sounds like Paul is almost obsessed with knowing Christ, as if he doesn't know him. I mean, by this point, Paul had been serving him for over 20 years. How could he not know him by now? I once asked, and I, I, I may have said this before, but I once asked a close friend of my grandmother how long he had known her, and he told me he met her in 1947, but he still didn't know her. The wisdom in his answer was that years don't automatically translate into knowing someone. 
The amount of years we've gone to church uh, uh, doesn't, doesn't determine how well we know Jesus. Amen? Amen. Uh, <clears throat> the word knowing in this scripture describes a knowledge gained from uh, personal experience. <clears throat> Paul had experienced Christ but seems to n- not just rest on those past experiences that he's had. Paul uh, recognizes that there, there was more to him to know. There was more to know, it, like a multifaceted diamond. Every time you turn it, you see more light, more angles, more dimension. There was more of him to know. In, in 1 Corinthians 13 and 12, he explains that, that, that now our, our knowledge of Jesus is only in part. We, we haven't seen all that there is yet to see of him. What, what Paul was after with Jesus was knowing him experientially more and more, day by day. He wanted an intimate knowledge of Jesus that would be expressed by his own life. He wanted Jesus to fill him up until he, until he overflowed with Jesus. Uh, he, he wanted to know him. He said, first, first he, he mentions here that he would know him through the experience of resurrection power. Resurrection power, uh, uh, the power that, 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 that was exerted in raising Christ from the dead. Resurrection power. He wanted the daily demonstration of God's resurrection power, God's new life working in him daily. He, he told the Ephesians that this great power is at work in those who believe. He said to, to the Ephesians, you find in chapter 3, verse 20, that, that, that God could do more than uh, we could ever imagine or ever could be imagined by that same power working in us. Uh, uh, who, who wants to have something and not experience the fullness of what you have? Paul wants to, Paul wants to know him. Uh, uh, second, he said he, he would experience Jesus through the fellowship, the partnership with him in his suffering. Oops. Most of, most of us, we might want to experience the power part. <laughs> but but we, we hesitated. We slowed down. The amens get lower when it comes to the suffering. Suffering, suffering, and it, maybe it shouldn't because suffering is a part of the human experience. Uh, but, but here I think Paul is talking about the suffering that especially follows those who follow Christ. It's a suffering Jesus told his disciples to expect in the world, but not to fret because he had overcome the world. Right? Uh, it, it can be faced with joy. Paul says, let my suffering be in connection with his name and let his suffering be connected with me. Paul had explained earlier in chapter 1 that the church has not only been granted the privilege and ability to believe in Jesus, but also to suffer for his sake. It's in there. Verse 29. You'll look at it later. Suffering, it, it, it may look different in our, in our day than it looked in that day, uh, in the times of Nero. Uh, sadistic, cruel. Uh, killer, ruler, uh, but, but, but suffering 
is a part of the following of Christ. Uh, uh, our suffering, uh, you know, we, we may not uh, go to be beheaded. We may not be crucified upside down on a cross like Peter. We may not be burned alive uh, at the threat and the command to denounce Jesus, but there is some suffering with our name on it if we're following him. But Paul said, that doesn't, that doesn't, that doesn't stop me telling you to rejoice in the Lord. <laughs> he said, it doesn't, it doesn't stop that. Third, thirdly, Paul was willing to go all the way. He seems like you might stop at the suffering. But Paul was willing to go all the way, all the way in knowing Jesus. He was willing to give up his life for others like Jesus had. He wanted to emulate him. He wanted to be one with him. Paul's death, it wouldn't save anyone, but he was willing to die leading others to salvation in Jesus Christ. He wanted to be so intimate with Christ that he experienced the kind of life and death that Jesus experienced, a life that uh, persevered through suffering, but also a death that didn't last, uh, one that wasn't final, a death that wasn't a destination, but more like a doorway uh, uh, to more life. According to Philippians chapter 2, verse, verses 8 through 11, Jesus was victorious in death. After letting go of all of his rights and, and serving mankind with his life, after accepting his death on the cross, Jesus was raised out from among the dead and exalted in the heavens. Amen goes there. Amen. He, 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 he didn't stay there. Um, Paul wanted to join him one day in that resurrection, the resurrection that uh, separates us from the dead. Uh, he, he says, by any means, whatever it takes, he's willing to take it. Wherever it goes, he's willing to go. Paul has seen the great value of Jesus, and he set his hope on him, believing that one day where Christ was, he would be also. If we continue reading, we, we see down in verse 12 that Paul admits he's not there yet. He hasn't arrived. He hasn't fully grasped what he's after. But we would also see that he sets everything else aside and gives his full commitment to taking hold of the life Christ has called him to and made possible for him. Nothing had greater value in his life than Christ. Hey, man, is your desire to know Christ becoming more valuable in your life than all other things day by day? Is it a day by day growth? Is it becoming more valuable in your sight? What, what advantages or privileges are you willing to consider loss in order to gain a greater intimacy with him? What, 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 thing, what thing is, is your right as a, as a 
as a person, as a, a citizen in this country, as a, what, 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 is your, what is your right that you're willing to just count as a loss <laughs> to gain greater intimacy with him? I mean, I, I, these questions bear asking, and these questions are fair because I believe until Christ becomes the most valuable goal in our lives, we will never really know him. Father, we thank you that you've opened the opportunity for us to know you. By grace, through faith, by the dynamic power of your Holy Spirit in us, renewing us. Lord, um, help us to not sit on what you've blessed us with. Create a hunger in us, Lord. Create a, a right spirit in us, Lord, that uh, values and sees Christ above all else and presses and, and strains after him with all our strength all our might. Lord, uh, lead, guide, and direct us. Let it be this way in us more and more, day by day. We thank you, Lord. We praise you. We glorify you. And we rejoice. We rejoice. We rejoice in you. Hallelujah. Amen.